One of the consequences of being human is forgetfulness. For those of us who are older, one of the things that uh, we've even given that forgetfulness a name, we say, well, I'm just having a senior moment. How many of you have had a time when you knew someone very, very well and they've come up to you and you see them coming and you're trying to remember that name? Maybe it's someone that you knew very, very well, like your wife. <laughs> and you're going, hallelujah. Uh, for those of us who are in front of people a lot, uh, we've developed that knack of kind of glancing at name tags so we can say, oh, hi, Susan, this is my wife. Um, how many of you husbands have got yourself in the doghouse because you forgot your wife's birthday or worse yet her anniversary? Why, have you ever been in the car about 90 miles from the restaurant that you stopped at for breakfast and all of a sudden you turn to your husband and say, oh, I forgot my purse. High school student, if you've ever taken an exam where you've studied a particular question and then it pops up on the exam and all of a sudden you have this brain freeze and you have no idea how to answer the question. This forgetfulness, unfortunately, can be very harmful to our spiritual life also. Maybe that's why God reminds us to remember different things in the Bible. So remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Remember this nation is your nation. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt. Remember the wonders he has done. Remember your creator in your youth. Remember this, fix it in your mind. Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Amen. Now one thing that God has done for us, we find it in the Bible, is he gives us certain memory tools that are particular events that cause us uh, to remember what has happened around us. Very similar to maybe that uh, string that you tie around your finger to remember that uh, you have to do something important. And so in Numbers, the 15th chapter, God has been speaking to the nation of Israel and he comes to Moses in particular. And he writes to Moses, or says to Moses these words. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, Throughout the generations to come, you are to make tassels on the corner of your garments with a blue cord in each tassel. You will have these tassels to look at and you will remember all the commands of the Lord that you may obey them and not prostrate yourself by, doing, by going after the lusts of your own heart and eyes. Then you will remember to obey all my commands and be consecrated to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. God says to them, as a memory tool, when you look at those tassels with the red cord, you are to remember my faithfulness. When God in flesh, Jesus was on this earth, he gave us a memory tool that the church has celebrated for the last 2,000 years. A memory tool to help us to remember. To remember. To remember what he has done in our past. 
causes us to remember what we ought to be doing in the present as we come to the table and causes us to remember that he's coming back again. For the disciples, after 30 years of being with Jesus, they had no idea that this was going to be the last supper with him. Oh, there were hints, there were indications, but they did not know that. But Jesus knew. Jesus knew that as they assembled for this final supper, this Lord's table, as we call it, that he was doing so in the shadow of the cross. That one day, that day, Christ would die on the cross for our sins, our sins of commission, those things that we do of our own volition, those things of omission, those things that we forget to do. And then those things of open rebellion. When I say to God, I want to play Lord of my own life, I don't care what you say, I'm going to do it anyways. I want to be Lord of my life. October 2nd, 2006, was a warmish day in the Amish community of West Nichols Mines in Pennsylvania. On that morning, a local milkman named Charles Carl Roberts made his way into the local school where there were 10 girls in one classroom. He had with him two guns, two knives, 600 rounds of ammunition. The police were summoned and they surrounded the small school, the Amish school. But he would not negotiate and 30 minutes after they arrived, he started shooting. In execution style, he killed five of the girls, then took his own life. But soon another story arose from the incident. Some of the girl survivors told the story of Marie Fisher, the oldest of the girls, 14 years old. And Marie, when she realized what Carl had in mind as far as killing the other people in that classroom, she stepped forward, the witnesses said, and said, take my life for their lives. And then her young sister, nine years old, Barbie stepped forward and said, kill me second. Take my life that others may live. Jesus, as he celebrates this, his final Lord's Supper with his disciples, knows that he's going to have to die that others might live. And so he says to God, take my life for the life of the disciples, for the life of my followers. The Lord's Supper causes us to look back and remember that great sacrifice where Jesus says, I will give up my life for the life of my followers at Black Rock Church. Second, the communion table reminds us is a memory tool that causes us to 
look to the present. Paul writes in verse 28, everyone ought to examine themselves before he eats the bread and drinks the cup. We're in our text, what's going on? What's going on in Corinth? Why does Paul write this to the church there? The text tells us that the church had come to the point where even shortly after the death of Jesus, within 30 years in all likelihood, they had somehow forgotten the significance of the Lord's table. And it had become just another meal. Verse 29, those who eat the bread and drink the cup without discerning the body of Christ and eat and drink, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Verse 28, a man ought to examine themselves. What were they doing? Verse 20. So then when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead on your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. And then Paul gives a very startling sentence concerning the, the consequences of doing this. Verse 30. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. That's a euphemism to say a number of you have died. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under judgment. The communion table is a time when we are to examine our lives. Well, what are we to examine? First and foremost, we need to examine whether we are Christ followers. This is a great opportunity for you here this morning, if you are not a Christ follower, if you've never made that decision in your life, that volitional consent that that Christ died on the cross for your sins. This is your opportunity to do it. And we would invite you to come forward following the service and meet with our prayer team. We'd love to talk with you about your eternal soul. And so the first examination is for those outside the family of God. But for those inside the family, we are also to examine ourselves. Jesus writes in the fifth chapter, the 23rd uh, verse of Matthew, these words. Therefore, if you're offering you a gift to the altar, and then remember that your brother has something against you, leave the gift there in front of the altar. First go and reconcile with your brother and then come and offer your gift. Communion is a great opportunity for you to determine, are there things I need to make right with my brother or with my sister, with my father, or with my parents? I never go to a communion service without thinking of an incident that took place when I was in the Philippines over 30 years ago. Susan and I were there on a long-term sabbatical. We had been there for 11 months, and it was the final time I was going to be speaking at the church where we ministered. But this church had a particular ministry in a, what they call a squatter village in the Philippines. This is an area where people from the uh, outlying areas come into the city, and they just take over a, a tract of land. It was called KJ. KJ was the end of a street called K and the end of a street called J. And it was about maybe five acres. And there's estimates of 5,000 people in that area. No sanitation. There was a one creek, we called it Typhoid Creek. 
There was no plan. In order to get to a house, often you had to crawl through other people's homes. Most of the homes are made out of cardboard. No electricity, no running water, nothing, none of that. We had been working in this community for 11 months. And I must admit, it was hard for me to comprehend as I was going through this, that they wanted my wife there as a pediatrician more than they wanted the preaching pastor. But there I was in the final service. We'd gone on a retreat and we were, I was speaking to them. So I preached. And they're going to end up with a communion service where they said they wanted everyone to uh, stand up and go get the elements, the bread and the cup, and to come back and serve someone else. And I thought in my mind, how is that ever going to work? Because everyone's going to stand up, everyone's going to be walking around, it's going to be complete bedlam. And I must admit, I had a bad attitude. And so I preached, and I preached on communion. And then I took a step back, far back in the corners I possibly could stand. I wanted no more part of that. And then there was this woman, a grisly older woman. She had several teeth missing. She had a hand that had been deformed because it had been caught in a fire. I had been to her place and it was just a terrible living situation. But in her one hand that she could pick up the elements, she had picked up the bread and the cup and her eyes locked and she started towards me with the cup and the bread. And it is as if a lightning bolt went right through my soul. And I found myself saying, she has exactly what I need. I need to realize I'm not better than she is. Just because I'm an American with a lot of money and I have a seminary degree and I'm going back to the land flowing of milk and honey, I am not better than that person. Matter of fact, I'm beneath her. With tears in my eyes, I accepted those elements, asking her and God to forgive me. Is there something, as we come to the table, that you need to make right in your life? I would say to you, don't take communion until you set that right. You don't have to be perfect. No one will take communion if we have to be perfect. But if the Lord is speaking to you right now saying, set that particular event right. This is part of God's memory tool that allows you to take care of your soul. We look back to Christ's death on the cross. We look to the present. We examine ourselves. But we also look ahead. Notice what, Paul, notice what he says, what Paul records as far as the words of Jesus. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Paul describes the return of the Lord in the book we call Thessalonians. It's a passage that you hear a lot at funerals, but maybe you don't hear a lot 
in our normal conversations. But Paul writes these words, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we are still alive and are left to be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. The communion table reminds us that ahead of us is justice. Ahead of us is a finish line. And that every story, your story, my story, your kid's story, your pupil's story if you're a teacher, your colleague in the office, every story has an ending. We're heading towards a climax. And we may not finish this service before the Lord returns. But that gives us great hope. For it means we're not hopeless. It means our lives have a destiny. In just a few moments, the ushers are going to come forward with the elements, the bread and the cup. And so I ask you, as I ask myself, to look back and remember what Christ did for us. We weren't there and we couldn't do it. And if we were there, we couldn't do it. Christ does it for us. And we are to examine our own minds as we come. Our own souls. And then we look forward to the return of the Lord. The elements are passed to you. I'd ask that you hold those elements have a time of reflection and then you partake of the bread and then of the cup. And as we do so again, we remember the words of Jesus. Jesus took the bread and said, this is my body which is for you. And he took the cup and said, this cup is a symbol of the covenant, the agreement between you and me. We want to thank you for watching and listening to our sermons online, and we hope that uh, you will be inspired to live more like Jesus through these. Please check out blackrock.org for more information about our church. Know that you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, and also uh, know that you can give uh, to BlackRock and to our ministry through PushPay, through our mobile app, and on our website. Your uh, donations and your support of our ministry allows us to have uh, these videos online and for us to impact our community.